Somebody say, you're in the right place. It's time to elevate. Mm. Now, I got to tell you something. Tonight, woo, somebody shout tonight. Tonight might be big for you. And I'm sure it's big for you. But I'll have a hard time believing that it's as, it's big, it's as big for you as it is for me. Woo! Bring them down. Bring them up. Bring the lights up. Bring the lights up. So we can see each other. So we can see somebody looking pretty. Oh! There we go. There we go. There we go. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, you look good. Now listen. Here's why. Here's why I say that it can't be as special to you as it is to me. Because I'm looking at some things on this podium that takes me back to a moment in my life when I didn't have nobody I didn't know anybody I didn't even know what worship was I'd never heard a worship song all I'd ever had I'm not criticizing them hymnal but all I'd ever had is a hymnal I didn't know what going into the Holy of Holies was I didn't know what surround me was I didn't know what Holy Holy Spirit follow me was I didn't know what it was and I thought preaching was when you have one of them things and pull it down and do this and have three points in a poem I didn't know what Holy Ghost preaching was but all I knew in 1991, God told me that I'm supposed to pastor a church. I can count every member we had on, on two hands. We were meeting in a house. My pulpit was my mother-in-law's bar stool. They pulled the bar stool out. I'd lay my Bible on the bar stool and they'd sit in the living room and I'd try my best to preach and I'd go home for a couple of weeks and I'd say God I don't know what I'm doing I've not been to Bible college I have no pastor I have no friends in the ministry I have nobody to tell me what to do all I know is I heard you tell me that I'm supposed to pastor I come home on a Sunday one day pastor I, could, I remember like it was yesterday I've told it a hundred times a thousand times over the years I come home one day distraught saying God how can I do something you call, I remember the Lord saying things to me like you're going to change the world. I heard things like you're going to raise up pastors and you're going to you're going to send out missionaries. And I'm like, I'm meeting in a house with a bar stool and I don't even have a pastor friend. So I come home on a Sunday afternoon, Bishop, and I'm working on my weed eater on the front porch of my house, and I got the screen door open with TBN on. And I'm talking to God while I'm greasy. Just come from trying to preach in a, a house. And I heard something. Zion is calling me to a higher place of praise. Come on, you know it. To stand mountain. Come on. And magnify. Am I not in your key? Sorry. And I was like, what is that? I put down that weed in, I went in, I sit down in my little single wide mobile home, 
And I watched the guy sit behind the keyboard and I fell down, Pastor, and I started saying, God, I don't know what that is, but I want that. God, send me somebody that can do that. God, I feel something I've never felt in my life. What is this? And I thought, Pastor, that was as far as I could go. But then I heard a booming voice come screaming on a platform, standing in front of a bridge. Come on, somebody. And he said, I think it's time we rebuild the bridge. Come on, somebody. And I was like, who is this? What is this? It's time we put prayer back. It's time. Oh, y'all hearing me. He slapped that plank. How many wants to put prayer back in the bridge? Come on. And I was in my little mobile home going, I want to put prayer back in the bridge. I don't know how to do it, but I want to put prayer back in the bridge. She said, what is wrong with you? I said, I can't even remember their names. But there's a church up in Ohio. They got, they're doing music and there's a man preaching. It's everything that we has talked about that we want. But we don't know how to get it. And pastor, we didn't have enough money at times to even buy groceries. I'm not, this ain't no preacher exaggeration. This is the truth. Every dollar was accounted for. But I went to my wife and I said, baby, you're going to have to trust me on this one. We'd only been married about a year and a half. And I said, I have got to take some money and I've got to send a check to a church in Ohio and I've got to buy some VHS tapes of a place of something called Dominion Camp Meeting. That's what I've been watching. She looked at me and she said, we ain't got that much money. I said, I know, but baby, listen, we got to do this. We got to do this. She saw the look on my face and she said, we got to do it. Pastor, I bought those. 1991. Dominion. Are y'all hearing me, church? VHS tapes. Here they are. Come on, give God a praise. This changed my life. It changed my life. It changed my life. any musicians bishop I didn't have a single person that knew how to play a song but I said but I can tell you what maybe I don't have anybody that can do this for me so maybe I just need this guy named Clint Brown to do it for me so I take this tape out and I put it in a VHS player and I'd roll it out on a TV cart and you'd start singing and I'd say y'all better praise God with our worship leader y'all better praise God with our worship leader and Bishop Clint Brown was my first worship leader and we raise our hands surround me oh Lord I look at the TV and I say say it say it Clint I'm not kidding y'all this ain't a preacher's story this is fact Bishop, this is true. Pastor, this is true. For 
three and a half years, Pastor. My wife will stand on this platform and tell you if a word he's saying is true. Come here, baby. Come here. I know you're filming this moment. Come here. This is my wife. Show some social love for the first lady. This is the one that saw greatness in me. So I wrote a book about her. Come on. Am I telling the truth? It's all true. I was there. Turn the mic up. It's all true. I was there. I was there for all of it. For three and a half years, mm -hmm. Pastor, I didn't have a pastor. Yep. I was not in the denomination. I had no one to cover me. Every Sunday, am I telling the truth? Every Sunday for three and a half years, I pulled one. It was sometimes Shambach. It was sometimes uh, you, mostly you. Sometimes it was Lester Summerall, Dr. Lester Summerall. Sometimes it was your mama, Pastor Ellen. And I'd plop it in while our handful of people were out there parking cars. And I'd walk back and forth in my little broom closet and I'd say, I want to put prayer back in the bridge. I want to put Holy Ghost back in the bridge. I want to put tongue talking back in the bridge, God. And pastor, you were my pastor by a tape for three and a half years before God sent a man in my life to pastor me. I went up in the storage room and I got these things out today. And I fell on my knees and I cried like a baby. And I said, Lord, I didn't have nothing. But I sold my ministry. I sold my vision. Sold. Not sold. Sold. Everything I knew into these two men. Never knowing that I would ever even shake your hand. Let alone. On the 25th anniversary of Elevate Conference, the two men that changed my life are sitting on the front row. for me real quick he's never paid me one time for being his worship leader for three and a half years I don't know talking about everything he sowed into world harvest he didn't sow nothing into me hallelujah 
little cheated here tonight. Zion is calling me to a higher place of praise to stand upon the mountain and to magnify his name to tell all the people and every nation that he reigns can you say it with me tonight Zion is called to a higher place of praise and then I lead your church and breathe on me come and breathe on me Holy Ghost power come and breathe on me yesterday's gone today I'm in need a Holy Ghost power come and breathe on me come on and breathe on me Lord just breathe on me y'all know it Holy Ghost power come and breathe on me Yesterday's gone Today I'm in need Holy Ghost power Come and breathe on me One more time Come on and breathe on me Lord, just breathe on me Oh, Holy Ghost power Come and breathe Yes, today I'm in need. Holy Ghost, say it again.
the church that we are losing in the body of Christ we are letting artificial things replace what God has created and David said let everything that hath breath let everything that hath breath We got a lot of people don't realize that God is the air conditioning company and your praise is your payment. And there's some folk behind on their payments. But if you can breathe in and let out, you ought to give him a praise. I didn't say, I'd say it like Pastor Pussy. I didn't say patty cake. I said a praise. Somebody in this place, look at the person on your right and your left, say, I can't answer for you. You know what David said? Watch this. David said, and it's very important, I will bless the Lord. Somebody say, I. You know what that means? It's not, it's not conditioned or conditional on anybody else doing it. He said, if nobody else does it, I now see watch this before you just shout over something somebody said you ought to know where he's saying it at he's in the cave of Dula with with people that are in debt discontented and distressed he said y'all can stay depressed if you want to but I I will bless the Lord at all You know what I love? He didn't just say, I will bless the Lord at all time. He then rose up, looked around the cave at everybody standing there and said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Did anybody come to lift him up? My hallelujah belongs to you. My hallelujah belongs to you. I wish there was a church that would say it. My 
to say you're my God and here comes the glory of the Lord <laughs> say that right there here comes the glory of the Lord sweeping sweeping through the room everybody say here comes the glory of the Lord say here comes the glory of the Lord here comes the glory here comes the glory of the Lord and it's sweeping in the room come on can you declare it tonight Bishop. See, we're too, we're too, we're too, we're too quick to say, God, send your glory. Send your glory. As if it descends in the room. Does it? The Bible said the earth is filled with the glory. And watch this. This pulpit wasn't made of dirt. This microphone wasn't made of dirt. This Bible wasn't made of dirt. I'm the only thing in the room made of dirt. So if the earth is filled with his glory and the glory doesn't descend, then the only way the glory shows up is when I release it to him. Somebody say glory! 
before I present my mentor, father, and hero, I got a quick question. How many people have a financial need in this building? How many people, all right, how many people have a physical need in this building? All right. How many people have a relationship need in this building? How many people have, have an, an emotional, you need peace in this building? So there are needs everywhere in there. And if you control the glory, because it's in you, he said, he shall supply all our needs according, which means, watch, you didn't come here to get your healing. You came here with your healing and you don't even realize it. The minute you start releasing the glory, healing comes, finances come, deliverance comes, blessing comes. Somebody lift your hands. Give it. Give it the glory. I'm going to tell you something tonight and I'm going to come up at the end of the service after Pastor Parsi's finished but I'm going, to, I'm going to share something with you tonight we have lost in the body of Christ we have exchanged anointing for actors I was with the largest church in America. I didn't say the largest church in the area. Me and my wife, the largest church in America, sitting in the pastor's house, him grilling me on sermons and how to build sermons and how to put this together. And I looked at him and I said, man, I'm concerned about what the move of God I said, let me ask you something. If you go to worshiping, and one Sunday, and he started doing like this. Yeah. You can ask my wife. Right. He started doing like this. I said, no, 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 wait, let me finish. He goes, I know what you're going to ask me. I said, no, you don't, till I ask you. He goes, yeah, I do, Clint. I know exactly what you ask me. You're going to ask me, like, am I just going to? He said, it'll never happen. You know why? Because six weeks earlier, he sat in a room with people he hired from Universal, Disney. Right. To help him build his sermons and he's six weeks ahead in props, graphics, illustrations. I, I can't I can't just push all that aside. No. And let God have his way. What do you mean? But I'm gonna tell you something. When I stepped in World Harvest Church in Columbus, Ohio, I stepped in that building the first day he had church in it I was there we I was there it, it was so new he looked at me and Mike Murdoch and said don't lean on the walls right. <laughs> he talked he said the pain is wet and listen to me I sang one course of one song wasn't even supposed to sing I was holding Mike Murdoch's product and Pastor Rod Parsi turned and looked at me, and Joni was with him, his wife, Pastor Joni. They looked at me, 
Praise the Lord. And Brother Mike Burdock did like that and said, that's enough. Didn't hire you to sing. Didn't hire you to play the piano. And Pastor Parsley told Mike Murdoch after that service, he said, when you're done with that young man, please call me because God spoke to me that he's my next music director. And Murdoch didn't tell me for five months. I'm at NRB in Washington, D.C., and Pastor Rod Parsley walks up with an entourage of people, points his finger at me at the NRB in Washington, D.C., and says, I've been waiting on you my whole ministry. I looked at him. I said, me? He said, yeah, I told Mike about it. He said, you want to go to dinner tonight? I said, yes, sir. I went to dinner with him. I sat down and I looked at him. I said, before you say anything, you need to know something. I don't read music. I don't write music. I don't know how to write for brass parts. I've never directed a choir. He looked at me. He said, you just named everything I can hire. That's what he said. He said, what you got, I can't hire it. And I'm going to tell you something. We've lost what we had in the church. Where when the music's over with, everybody's on Facebook and Instagram and walking around with their phones. And they think their, their part of the service is over. I sat right there with him. I listened. I was arrowed in. I was zeroed in. I was anchored into every word he was saying. And because of his messages, I wrote almost a hundred songs while I was at World Harvest Church from nothing but preaching. Because you know what God told me? God said to me, he said, he can't preach it every week. They'll think he's crazy. But you can sing it every week and they'll think you're great. He looked at me and he was going on a trip one time and I said, are you taking me? He said, taking you? That's an afterthought. Yeah, you're going on every trip. After about two months, I wish I'd had never asked because he was preaching every night of his life. And when you were testifying, I leaned over to him and I said, there are thousands of Larry Raglins around the world that your ministry has changed lives and you won't even know about it until you get to heaven and God opens the book and says hey Parsley these are under your name and your influence has anybody ever been blessed by the ministry of pastor doctor bishop father general Rod Parson. Anybody? Does Alabama love him? Everywhere he goes that's connected to me, they're nervous as can be. Larry's called me 42 times. Hey, man, what, what should I do? What should I do? I said, Larry. This dude's from Kentucky, man. I said, he's... Song, song of the South. (laughs) Sweet potato pie and shut my mouth. I said, Larry, 
He's from deeper in the woods than you ever been. And listen, I know it because he brought me there. And I remember looking at Mother Parsley saying, what we going to eat? She said, whatever we eat, we're going to go back there and pull it out the ground. I said, we in the country. He's changed lives, not just in Alabama. I've watched him, stood on the side of him, preach in Russia. I've stood on the side of him while he preached in Israel. I've stood on the side of him while he preached in South Africa. I've stood on the side of him in every state in the United States. I've stood on the side of him at camp meetings. I've stood on the side of him with men like Oral Roberts, Kenneth Hagin. I've stood on the side of him with men like Lester Summerall told him. He said, you are a dying breed, but as long as you're breathing, there's still hope for the Pentecostal church and the power of the Holy Ghost. I've watched him say, Rob, don't back down, don't back up, don't throw in the towel. Tell it like it is, preach it like it is, and don't take no prisoners. I introduce to you tonight the man that opened up my opportunity, gave me an opportunity, and exposed me to a level I've never seen. And you are never leaving the same tonight. Put your hands together for Pastor Rod Parson. Come on, somebody. statements I ever heard made in my presence in my conference room after one of the Dominion camp meeting services Bishop T.D. Jakes turned to Dr. Oral Roberts and he said you are an unusually blessed man and Dr. Roberts said well explain yourself and he said because you have seen your end. Think about it. You have seen your end. And you're happy. And you're blessed. I don't want to live with regret. I don't want to live with unforgiveness and bitterness and judgmentalism. If you're in, in this work, if you're in this work, you'll be hurt. Did you hear me? This, this is not for the faint of heart. You gotta, you, we won several state championships at Harvest Preparatory School. And after the first one we won, we decided that all of our practice jerseys from then on would have targets on the back of them. Because when you're a winner, you become a target. Like Alabama. And I said that, and I'm a Buckeye. Look at him. You, you got to get that unforgiveness out of your heart, child. You just got led in worship by a tiger. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
an LSU tiger. Now, me and Kendall, we, we agree about Bama, you see. And Clint just has to come along for the ride. But this year it could be, I don't know. I'm just saying, I think if, if everybody played today, I think LSU wins. I just seeing how many sat down when I said that. I'm just playing with you. Thank you so much for loving me. Thank you so much. It means the world to me. You may not understand. You can be seated. Dr. Lester Summerall, of course, my great late pastor and mentor, uh, taught me something that I forgot. You know, sometimes we live so fast that we forget things. And I forgot this particular lesson that they taught me until I was attacked uh, four years ago with vocal cord cancer. If I would show you pictures of it, uh, it, it wouldn't sit well with you. Uh, my throat looked basically like I'd swallowed a grenade. I had fourth degree burns on the outside of my neck and fourth degree burns on the inside of my neck and I spent nearly two years with without a whisper I, I had a little little thing now remember I wrote a best-selling book called silent no more <laughs> and uh, I can smile about it now I, I didn't smile much then I had 14 major ministries to watch over I had a daily television program to 97% of America and weekly programs and 150 nations of the world I had a church had a Bible college I had all those things the Center for Moral Clarity standing up that marriage is the union of one man and one woman why are you so quiet that abortion is murder anyway anyway i i would walk my driveway i i i, I like the woods and and so I lived way back. And so my driveway about a half a mile long. And I couldn't talk, had a little board, and I'd keep a piece of chalk and write on the board. And uh, wasn't, in, wasn't in my office for over two years. And everything went right on without me. And then I got really depressed. <laughs> I thought, what's the Lord need me for? This is all going just fine. They just run those reruns, and people think it was that day. It was five years ago. 
So I grew this beard to kind of mark the spot so they'd know when I came back. But I would walk that driveway and my, my dad had walking sticks because we'd walk in the hills and I, I had my walking stick. And I remember one day, God the Holy Spirit reminding me of what my pastor said. He said, now when, when I bring you back, and I stopped right then and fell down on my face in my driveway. Because he said, when I bring you back. No, see, you miss what God says. He said, when I bring you back. He said, when I bring you back, you won't be the same. And, and he said, I've got another assignment for you. Now, I've been doing what I've been doing for 45 years. As Bishop Brown said, every day. I don't, I don't know what a day off is. And that's not right. You shouldn't live that way. But I, I lived that way. And, uh, and God blessed me and God strengthened me. Uh, and he kept me together. And he kept my family together. And it, he made my children love me. And, and it, it, that was good. That was good. Because I really wasn't being obedient. But I, I didn't know another way to live. You understand? I mean, my daddy used to say, it's a good thing the boy can preach a little bit because he sure enough can't do nothing else. <laughs> and I came. But, but, and my dad was one of those guys like Charlie Brown. He could fix anything with some duct tape and a screwdriver or a hammer. Now, my dad was a hammer guy. Like he'd fix a watch with a hammer give work my hammer and I didn't know how to do anything else and I thought what value have I if I can't do what I believe I'm on the earth to do why am I here my children are grown everything's going right on without me you know History is not kind. It doesn't matter what kind of splash you make. Fifteen minutes after you splashed. But somehow you say, 20, don't worry about these people, they're just people. He said, fifteen minutes after you die and they preach your funeral, they'll be at Burger King telling jokes. That's just a hard reality, you know. We didn't lift preachers so high they couldn't fall so far and we wouldn't be so disappointed. I say things along the way, you know, you must tweet that. And, and I'm going somewhere with this, so just hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Because, because I do feel at home. Pastor Larry and, and uh, Sandy, you... You're so gracious to me. And, and when I got my son, my brother, my mentor, my muse, Bishop Clint Brown in the room, I always feel at home. The only thing make me and him feel better is if there are two rockers up here and we could rock. Now, you watching the rest of the service, he won't stop. He'll rock the whole service. He got a daughter. She got it. She must have been in the womb a little crooked because she rocked this way all the time. 
but I can't go I can't go in a room where there's not a rocker I make one and he's the same way and uh, so the Holy Ghost said when I bring you back and I'm not again it's not preacher talk y'all getting a lot of real tonight because we need some more real I, I'm tired of people thinking that that the worth of the gospel preacher is to entertain the people to amuse the goats to pull in the net and forget to sort the fish I'm not an entertainer I don't mean to offend nobody. I'm not saying what you should be, but I'm telling you what's standing up in here tonight is not an entertainer. I'm not an entertainer. And I'm not and I'm not a life coach and, and I'm not a business entrepreneur. I'm a gospel preacher. I'm a part of a dying breed. But I walked around a little bit, Pastor Clint. And Pastor Larry and I found some folks they said they hugged me while you were talking and they said that's my story but mine was 1991 that's my story but mine was 1997 that's my story so I'm at home so so he said when I bring you back it won't be the same you're going to have to wear a different armor. I'm going to change your assignment. Now, that sounds easy. But it's, it's like trying to teach a dog a tree climbing job. I, that's how David felt. I've not tried this. I, I know this sling thing. I... I can do that. But you try to shift and make me a king? I don't know how to walk in that. I have to learn that anointing. And so he reminded me at that moment in the driveway of what Brother Summerall trained me. He said everybody's life is three stages. Everybody say three. Three stages. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Out of court, inner court, holy of holies. Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer. On and on it goes. Spirit, soul, body. On and on it goes. Except when you get to God. Because he doesn't live in three dimensions. God is at least four dimensions. He created you in three dimensions to live in a three-dimensional world. But don't ever think because he sent his son in the form of a man that God is three dimensions. Because if God was three dimensions and you're three dimensions, you would be God. Or you would be what Aaron preachers call a little God. You're not a little God. You are made a little lower than God. Hallelujah. Why? Because God's not going to create a life for you that makes him unnecessary. Tweet that. I said God's not going to create a life for you that makes him unnecessary. God's not going to create a life for you that makes him 
unnecessary. I dare you to throw your hands up and say, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Pass me not, oh, Savior. I come to thee. So he said, every person's life is how many stages? And I'm going to hurry. Three stages. He said, in the old economy or the old covenant, they were divided by 40s, 40-year periods. But he said, when we got to the new covenant, it became 30-year periods. So a man's life, a woman's life is divided into three stages dealing with 30 years. Zero to 30 are your gathering years. You should be learning, knowing, sitting at the feet of wisdom like Galilee. You should, you should be absorbing everything you can possibly absorb. When this man is in this pulpit, you should be sitting there like this. Absorbing for 30 years. And then he said, when you hit 30, you move into your using years where you where everything you've accumulated you begin to use and you begin to cause increase to come to the kingdom i was 30 i was 29 when i built a 5200 seat building i was already doing seven services a week now that's that's 30 Two, 33 years ago and nobody ever heard of that then but some also taught me there's nothing new under the sun all these preachers running around oh I've got the new plan I've got the you know, no 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 it just came around again I said it just came around again you think church planning is brand new I was doing church planning at 17 years old in the free will Baptist church we called it home missions. Every single church we called mother churches were required to start four new churches in their area a year. It's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. God said to me through my pastor, when you hit 30, then you use everything you've accumulated. And you, and you do that till you're 60. So when I hit 29, I told the Lord, because I'd met Brother Summerall, he'd shared that with me. I want to be in that building, 5,200 seats, out of seven services a week, so that I don't have to preach seven times to the same people. Now, But I did it different than they do now. Now they preach one sermon seven times. I had to have seven new sermons a week and I traveled 150 nights a year on the road. A little different. So you can tell I, I, was, I was ready to step into something different at 30. So we began World Harvest Church with 17 people in my backyard. 12 of them were my family members. So we actually started with five people. I started underneath a bar. Can you imagine? In a warehouse under, I, I ain't got time to tell them. And, and, uh, no, uh, under a bar. And, and the bar was right above us. 
and their beer lines, because it was concrete, their beer lines ran across our ceiling and back up. So every now and then we'd sanctify them, but we found out we, we found out they were buying more beer to try to get drunk, so we had to stop. But I was preaching in there one night, and this is a long time ago. I don't know why it's coming to me, but I, 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 I was preaching in there one night, and I was preaching about the cross. You know, I've always loved to preach about the cross, and I, I got to that point where red rivulet of blood ran freely down a naked side and dripped off his toes into bloody pools on the earth, and I had my finger up like this, and I paused for impact. And their jukebox was playing. If you want my body and you think I'm sexy, come on, baby, tell me so. That's the truth. That's the truth. It hadn't always been like you see on TBN. It hadn't always been like that. So we built a 180-seat building. Then we built, a year and a half later, we built a 400-seat building, and then a year and a half after that, we built a 1,200-seat building, and we just kept building and building and building so that eight years after 17 people in my backyard, eight years later, we moved into the largest sanctuary church complex ever built north of the Mason-Dixon line east of the Mississippi River. I was 29. I didn't have a church growth seminar. I, I didn't go have somebody teach me how to do it. I didn't have a plan, but I found a scripture. I found a scripture that said, build it according to the pattern that I showed you in the wilderness. So a whole lot of pastors would have to quit would be able to quit running around trying to find out from everybody else how to do it if they just find a wilderness. Oh, you're not shouting now, see. I had me and the Holy Ghost. I said I had me and the Holy Ghost. And that was it. But I learned how to listen. Oh, Jesus. So, 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 I'm not saying you shouldn't you know, have help with your pattern and do all that. I, I'm planting churches myself. I planted 28 in Pakistan in the last 30 months. We have over 30,000 people a week in service. 98.6% Muslims. One of my sons for our organization called City Harvest Network just did a crusade over there one week ago tonight had over 30,000 Muslims give their lives to Christ. We're starting 10 new churches out of that. So I'm, it's not about that. It's not about that, but if you remove the Holy Ghost, all you've got is flesh. I'm tired of going and listening to so-called Pentecostal people apologize for Pentecost. Why don't you stop apologizing about Pentecost in your big meeting and open up the altar and lay hands on people to receive the Holy Ghost? How in the world are you going to build a church without the Holy Ghost? God himself waited until the day of Pentecost to start his church. 
So I'm trying to tell you. So then you get to 60. And when you hit 60, something changes in you. Your spiritual DNA changes. There's a shift in you that's supposed to take place. And I, I'm kind of strange because, as I said, before I'm 30 years old, I've started from nothing, and, and now I've moved in a 5,200-seat sanctuary complex. He was there the first day. Now, who's ever heard of that? I don't know anybody that that's ever happened. And then I hit 60. That was also the year that I went to Russia. And when I went to Russia, I'm laying there with my clothes on in that bed because it was so filthy. We had four ounces of rancid meat one night. And we went back to the same restaurant the next night. And we said, we'll have the steak. And they said, no. All you socialists, just listen. You ain't paid me yet. And I can get home if you don't. Because there ain't enough money in this room to pay my bills. And there ain't enough money to get me to do what I do. So we said, we'll have the steak. Because we didn't die from it, so we thought we'd be all right. This is, this is the day after the failed coup of Mikhail Gorbachev. I'm standing in the 22,000-seat Lennon Sports Arena. It is packed out, packed out. And, and I'm preaching about the God that was and is and is to come. And an entire battalion of the Red Army, still in their uniforms, come out of the balcony, come to the front of the building, get saved, born again, baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. They left that sports arena and they went into the streets of St. Petersburg. Now that day, its name was changed from Leningrad back to St. Petersburg because the Soviet giant had been dismantled and it was Russia again instead of the Soviet. Union of Soviet Socialist Republic and so I'm standing there and I give that old, they go out the building and they are stopping city buses they are still in their military uniforms they are climbing on city buses traffic jams everywhere in the city because these soldiers are telling people what just happened to them people are making altars out of the bus seats getting baptized in the Holy Ghost all over the city of Leningrad. So don't get in a hurry on me tonight. When I was in that, when I was in that hotel room, I was trying to sleep, but I couldn't sleep. I'm tossing back and forth, and God is dealing with me. And I, and, and I, I told him, I heard a word from him. He said, now when you go home, because I stood up and I, I took my Bible and I said, I said, I said, Leningrad, this is a Bible. I wish some preachers had learned that. 
How come ain't nobody brings a Bible to church anymore? Well, I got my phone. You look at porn on it too. I can tell you that staring at that screen, you ought to get Phil Driscoll's teaching on it. If you even know who Phil Driscoll is. You ought to get Phil Driscoll's teaching on it. The wavelengths and the flutter that is in every cell phone that actually puts your mind into a trance. And you don't even realize it. God gave us a book. He didn't give us a phone. I'm sorry. Get your book. And if you've got one too holy to write in, take it home, put it in a glass case, and just look at it, and then get you one you can mark up. Get you one you can mark Get used to feeling that leather in your hand. Get used to throwing it down on the floor and opening it up and praying and reading and praying and reading and praying and reading. My church getting their notepads back out again. God's got a fresh word. And it's not just. <laughs> I'm so tired of that mess. Nothing but emotional entertainment. You come in on Sunday morning. They say, oh, it's bad. You've had a rough week. And by the end of their sermon, they're winding it up. The B3's coming in. And everybody, oh, it's going to be better. And then the next week, start right back over where this were when they left the last week. Oh, we're finding our destiny. How come nobody ever get there? You're going to be healed. How come nobody getting healed? You're going to be blessed. Oh, God, going to bless your finances. Well, how come you ain't been blessed yet? Because you ain't learning nothing. That's why. Because teaching destroys unbelief. It's through the foolishness of preaching that people are supposed to come into the kingdom. This is not my first rodeo. Are you bored? So I'm laying there, Clint. I'm laying, or Bishop, I'm sorry. I'm, no, I mean, you, you should pay honor where honors do. But we're friends. And uh, people say he's my son, but he ain't that much younger than me. He just covered it up. I'm just playing. And uh, so I'm laying there on that filthy bed. You want? I wish some of this New York City and Hollywood crowd. Why don't you move to Cuba? You ain't moving to Cuba. What do you mean? Well, you love socialism so much. Why don't you go somewhere where they've tried it? Y'all in Alabama. Just keep holding on to your Bible and your gun. That's all I'm going to say right there.
Huh? No abortion, Alabama. Why ain't everybody up, clapping, screaming, jumping, waving? So I'm laying there in that bed. I just feel like there's a homecoming for me. I'm laying there in that bed. And it's the same year. It's the same year. I prayed for three people on that platform. Well, I mean, I prayed for a whole lot of people. I didn't really pray for them. I just spoke the word to them. And when I spoke the word to the first three were in wheelchairs. The least amount of time any of them had been in a wheelchair was 20 years. Before I even got to put my hand on them, all three of them jumped out of their wheelchairs and started running around 22,000 seats. That Bible is precious. For 70 years to own a page of it in the USSR, to have a page of it in your house meant immediate incarceration for life. You want socialism? They don't want socialism. They want to kill the Judeo-Christian ethic that is alive and well in the United States of America. And I'm here to tell you, the church is not dead. It's just reached adolescence on its way to adulthood because some of us ain't going to back up. Some of us not going to sit down. So, mm. so I'm laying there in that bed and God, God said to me, now when you go back to America, I want you to do that Bible thing. I said, you mean you want me to, you know, call people to be born again? Because what I said was, this is a Bible. I can still remember it. It is the oak of God planted in the forest of eternity, entwining its roots around the rock of ages. And far better men and women than you and I have piddled their head on it in their dying hour. The Bible is the only book with accurate directions to eternal destinations. And I told that bunch of Russians, I said, listen, don't let them take your car, let them take your house, let them take your wife, let them take your children, but under God, don't ever give up this book again. Make them pry it out of your dead, cold, dying hands. But the church in America doesn't even carry one to church anymore. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the flies in the ointment of the apothecary. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary is like a roaring lion roaming to and fro seeking whom he may devour. So I'm laying there. I'm laying there. I'm 30 years old. And God let me preach the first open gospel crusade 
in the Soviet state of Russia where the name of God had been banned for 22 years. Kind of like most churches in America. Oh no, we didn't, we didn't ban God. We banned the Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah Joshua Messiah. And if you didn't ban him, you banned the Holy Ghost. You relegated him to some home meeting on Sunday night. Because you don't want anybody to be offended. Let me tell you what the modern church has done. We have exchanged that convicts me with that condemns me. No, wait. We've changed that condemns me with that offends me. I'm offended that you're offended. The gospel is a rock of offense. What in the world are we preaching? Some of you young preachers, you better hear somebody with some gray hair. That thing's going to die as fast as it raised its ugly head. Because there is still a God that redeems. There is still a king and a cross that bleed. There is still a triumphant, victorious church of Jesus Christ against which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I don't care how big their crowd is. It was popular opinion that led to the crucifixion of your Savior. Oh God, I can't go there. Give me a cell phone. Sit down. Be seated. Be seated, please. That's what you say when you're a man pleaser. When you're not anointed. When you have no authority. Because we have no respect for this office anymore. We have no respect for the house of God anymore. Quit letting your youngins run all up and down this platform. This is where the anointing resides. I went to the second biggest church in America. It's not far from here. They wanted me to preach. 45,000 people on Sunday morning. So I happened to be in town. And I thought I'd stop by. So I did. They said, would you like to see where we'd like you to come and preach? I said, yeah. I always like to feel a room. See how many devils I got to get rid of before I get started. <laughs> and I walked out there, and the front row was right there. I said, Does this move? No, no, no. I said, Well, where's the altar? Oh, we don't have an altar. We don't have time for that. We have so many people, we have to get them in and get them out. I said, why don't you have some faith and build a bigger building? Jesus. 
You notice how everybody poo-poos big churches? Now, many historians say, I, I was graced of God to build the first mega church in the United States of America. And, and now people are offended at the size of the building. Well, where would Jesus have put that? Oh, no, you can't follow me. There's too many. Here, you go be trained by Peter. You, John, you take this group over there. If one chases a thousand and two puts 10,000 to flight, what do you think is going to happen when 5,000 get in agreement? At one time, in one place. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together. Yeah, 3,000 got born again. What's going to do with them? Watch now. So we get, God said to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, yeah, go prophesy. Okay. And he took him out to a valley that was piled up like a mountain out of the valley. Now, how'd you like that assignment? Prophesy to bones. First of all, how are they going to hear? You'd have said, surely not there, God. I mean, I checked the demographics. That's not the highest income area of the... It had been troublesome had Jesus checked the demographics of Samaria. So God said, prophesy to those bones. A shudder must have run through his body at the weight of that responsibility. Can you even call yourself a gospel preacher? Does your heart ache for dying souls? Have you a vision of hell? A vision of it? We don't even preach about it. What are we doing? That's why I like to come to places like this. So let me say it this way. What are they doing? What are they doing? Sometimes I want to stop in front of them, climb up on the hood of my car, get a bullhorn and yell out, What are you doing? Why are we here? Look, you get my age, you've been where I've been, seen what I've seen, had what I've had. I'm trying to get a New York Times bestseller. I've had them. I'm not trying to get a crowd. 
I spoke to the biggest crowds in the world before I'm 30 years old. I'm not looking for a man to follow around. My contemporaries were Lester Summerall, Oral Roberts, Dr. Kenneth E. Hagan, T.L. Osborne, Dr. T.L. Lowry. Some of you don't even know their names. My mentor was Leonard Ravenhill. And you know who he is. Leonard Ravenhill wrote arguably the greatest book on revival ever written. From the time I'm eight years old, my mother made me read it once a year, every year, till she went to heaven. Do you know what Leonard Raven? It sat, there were two things on my mama's nightstand. A King James version of the Bible and Leonard Ravenhill's Why Revival Tarries. I still have her original copy. She let me make crayon colorings of the pictures. It had pictures in it. Do you know what Leonard Ravenhill said? Leonard Ravenhill, one of the greatest apostolic anointings that ever graced this planet. He looked around at the evangelical church in 1969. This is 79, 89, 99, 2009, 2019, 50 years later. And he said, I doubt. Wow. My ears perk up. I doubt that even 5% of people sitting in pews on Sunday morning in evangelical churches are even born again. Of course, there's a term you don't hear anymore. No, we've redefined that. We've redefined the words in red because the culture told us to and we bowed our knee to it. Can I come for a week? Where are you? We change some stuff. I get up in here in a week. You see, the problem with modern preachers is they think you don't want to hear this. Because they think you have the same hunger for God that they do, which is virtually none. To most of them, this is a business. That's why I ask. You call yourself a preacher. Have you a vision of hell? What is the purpose of gospel preaching? Why are we here? When you're my age, questions haunt you. When I go to bed at night, I toss back and forth with questions. Where did evil come from? 
Ask the modern preacher. He has no idea. Why? There's no theology anymore. Theology. There's no standard. There's no basis. It's all about how many people you can get coming. Where my phone? What? What? So here we go now. Let me let me find you. Let's see. Get this around here. Let's see. Oh yeah, there we go. Oh, there you are. Okay, wait. Because I want to get you. I want to get you all in the. No, wait. No, wait. I can see some empty seats there. I don't. How can I make it look like. Can I get a fish eye on this so I can make it look like there are more people? If I do that, maybe that. Oh, that makes it look big right there. Because instead of prophesying to dead bones, we're taking pictures with them. I don't care how many people you got coming, how many you got going. Don't wind me up, son. Hello, Pastor Giles. It's so good to see you. I love you so much. I love you. So the church says, oh, we don't have an altar. You don't have an altar. You want me to preach? Obviously, you don't know who I am. Where am I supposed to cast out devils? Oh, well, that'll scare people away. Yeah, them and the devil. What are you doing? Why don't you go sell insurance? Go be a used car salesman. You preach for you or them. Or them. You know the only reason we're here? The only reason we're here tonight is supposed to be because they're not. Tweet that. What's the purpose? You know why the church is susceptible to every wind of doctrine? First of all, because nobody's preaching or teaching any doctrine. Because we got a bunch of sissy boys trying to lead us in worship. I don't care, man. I'm going to heaven for long. I can't even listen to it. Turn that mess off. Somebody with some little effeminate voice. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Shut up. Shut up. 
Give me some of that. Give me some Zion is calling me to a higher place of praise. To stand upon the mountain and magnify his name. To tell all the people and every nation that he reigns. Jesus is not your lover. He's the resurrected king of glory. He's not your buddy. I said it, the cross wasn't beautiful. Get my book, The Cross, One Man, One Cross, One Friday. Take a look at that bleeding, bloody, angry, mean, rugged, cruel, biting beam. And then talk about you didn't love Jesus. Your little lispy voice. Sit down. I'm trying. I'm just, I'm just talking. I'm just telling a story. I'm taking a text. No altar. where we come to sacrifice the altars where we come to die the altars where we come to surrender the altars where we come to worship the night I got born again and again we've redefined that may I suggest to you the words of Jesus in red don't need a redefinition they need a new demonstration. That's what they need. We need some people climbing over the pews, falling over an altar, screaming out, what must I do to be saved? When they get saved like that, you won't have to pay lazy staff to send them letters and go visit them and have a follow-up program that doesn't work to begin with. I was eight years old. Nobody invited me back to church. I got what I came after. Not some watered-down, user-friendly, seeker-sensitive, emergent bunch of mess. The only thing I see emerging is a dead church. No power. No demonstration. No manifestation. Nobody running out of wheelchairs. Nobody talking in other tongues. Nobody dancing in the middle of the tabernacle so they don't know where they are anymore. No mothers showing up an hour early praying with tears dripping on their chest begging God to give us souls lest we die. Round two in a minute. That's what it is. I gained an hour. Sit down. Please be seated. 
Every one of you will think of that. Airbrushed pictures and unholy, ungodly. You're going to stand behind that desk, put some clothes on. If I see one more preacher trying to show off his bicep in his schmedium t-shirt. You used to have to talk to the women to adorn themselves modestly. I'm so tired of shirtless preachers. And I don't care what kind of wine you're having, quite frankly. And I don't care that you're on the beach. I'd rather see you somewhere in prayer. We don't respect the pulpit. We don't respect ministry. We don't respect the house of God. This is God's house. If it's, if it's not... Put a different sign out front. Take the pews out. Get some bar stools. Crank up the music. This is God's house. This is where we come to tabernacle with God. And He's not the God you think He is either. We've had so little preach to us about who God is. Ask modern preachers, what's the Trinity? We don't, we don't discuss that. You don't discuss much. All you're worried about doing is carving notches in your belt. Sit around with modern preachers. The first thing they're going to ask you is, how many people did you have Sunday? How come ain't nobody asking how many did you have born again Sunday? And nobody's saying nothing about that. Nobody talks about that. So I'm going to ask the question again. What are we doing? Why do we need all this? Why do we need padded pews? Why? What's this all about? Why do we do this? Well, I mean, because I'm from the South, and people in the South, you know, it's the Bible Belt, we go to church. Why? Why do you go to church? Why do you worship? What do we need a preacher for? Why do we need a youth group? Why? 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 Why do we need these musicians? I mean, they got musicians at the local bar. Oh, oh, wait! They have a light show too. My God! My God! They got pinball machines. Yeah. I've been there. They got stuff to drink. Yep. Make you feel better. Yeah. Right. 
Why we need this? If all we're going to do is deal with the flesh and the mind, we ought to go out of business. If all this is is a fellowship, let's go to the Elks Lodge. Let's go to the VFW. Why do we need this? What is this all about? Why are you in ministry? It's quiet, isn't it? You know why folks are thinking. Wouldn't it be something? Instead of just entertaining you, a preacher actually provoked thought from you. Why? What's it all about? What's the bottom line? When I hit 60, Brother Summerall told me when you hit 60, then everything changes. You go into your giving years. Or you take everything you've learned and everything you've done and you have but one purpose for it. Pour it. Pour it into the lives that are coming after you. That's the only reason he spared me. It's the only reason I can still talk. And I have to believe it's because I have a word that needs to be heard. Otherwise, I'd be in heaven. And I'm not just about ready to play with it. I don't want a relevant church. Preacher told me that the other day. Well, we're relevant. What does that mean? I don't know. This gruffness has come upon me since I turned 60. I used to be nice. Relevant. Say relevant. Everybody's got a relevant church. Now, what they mean is they changed what they wear preaching. Well, we don't wear neckties. Okay. We, we like to cut our jeans up. Okay, it's cool. We wear skinny suits and no socks. Okay. I'd wear a skinny suit too. But I ain't skinny. And no skinny suit. It doesn't make you relevant. Some of you look for a youth pastor. You want him, you want him to look like in your church, you want him to look like he just stepped off the cover of some magazine. He got some little fly hand eye candy. He's he's got that. He's got the look. And run off every teenager in your church because they're looking at that and they're already beat down and they feel like they can never measure up to that. So why bother? Get you one about 300 pounds with a homely wife. And every kid in your place will love them. Quit trying to be what you're not. Be you. Just be you. 
if you're comfortable, if, if you're comfortable and get the same anointing in a suit that you do cut-up jeans, fine. If you get a better anointing when you wear cut-up jeans, fine. But don't think that makes you relevant. That just makes you a copycat. As I said, I don't wear skinny suits because I'm not skinny. And some folk ought to take the cue. <laughs> Buy a mirror. You look like an egg on two toothpicks. I'm just having fun. I'm setting preachers free right now. You be you. You preach how you preach. You let your church, you let your church Reflect your ministry. Don't you let some cat come in and he's got a big name and you paying him a bunch of money and he has nothing to do with your anointing. Every time that man is in a pulpit with me, my anointing increases ten times. Oral Roberts said, I've never seen two people more one spirit than Rod Parsley and Clint Brown on a platform together. Quit trying to build your ministry off somebody else. God called you or he didn't. Well, if I just had this, if I just had that, if I could get the right worship leader, sing yourself. Put, put a VC, VHS, whatever it was, tape in. Y'all sit down now. I'm winding up. I feel you're getting tired on me. Go prophesy. This is what I want to do. I want to find him. I want to find you. I want to, and I want to draw you so close to me and I want to sit you down in front of me and take out the word and say, all right, how many are you getting saved? If you're not getting them saved, let me come in. I'll hold a revival for you. How come we never have revivals anymore? How come all we have? We don't even know what revival is. People say revivals when people get saved. Revivals not when people get saved. Revivals when the church gets saved. That's all I want to do. Build churches. Build preachers. And give it to everybody I can. And I'm going to tell you, in a lot of the church, what I survey gives me great pause. Give me a quote by, uh, let's see. How about William Booth? William Booth, people are like, is he on TBN? No. <laughs> now, I'll be honest with you. I do not read, nor do I listen to contemporaries. I don't. Very few of them have anything to say. You go to the Christian bookstore and look at the titles 
And you'll be like, Christians must be the most miserable, broke, sad, depressed people on earth. And if your best life is now, what's that say for heaven? I'm simply pointing out we're earthly minded, we're temporal minded, we're flesh minded, we're soul minded. Nobody talks about eternity anymore. Hell's no longer real. It's not even real. 70% of evangelical millennials do not believe hell is a literal place. My question remains, what are we doing? There are 7 billion people on planet Earth. 7 billion. Being relevant means two things. It means, it means, take a drink of water. Being relevant means being connected to the issue. Our problem is, we're uninformed of what the issue is. We don't know why we're here. But I don't know. I'm a good person. I don't smoke, smoke cuss, drink, wear a cap, go bareheaded. I'm, I'm a Christian. And, and so I go to church. And I don't I don't know. But we're relevant. <laughs> come on, come on. We got Bozo the Clown and Foo Foo the Dog. We got a light show. We got a preacher that, you know, has a stool and a table and a screen. And we're, we got everything we need. We got smoke. Come on, come on. I got smoke. Yeah, yeah. I got a light show. I got all of it. But it doesn't make me relevant. That's right, Pastor. My message makes me relevant in heaven. I couldn't care less what it does about earth. I don't care. I know why I'm here. And I'm not here to build my church, I'm here to build his kingdom. Now watch me. Now watch me. Here's what relevant is. Connected to the issue. What is the issue? It is twofold. Number one, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that cat sitting beside you more than you do you. Love your neighbor. As yourself. Yes, sir. How come most church people mean? Mean. Number two. Number two. Here's what makes you relevant. Go into all the world and preach 
the gospel. They believe they that believe and are baptized shall be saved. Those that believe not shall be damned. Only two kinds of people on earth, y'all. Saved ones and damned ones. There no in between. We don't even know what born again is anymore. We've got everybody making decisions. I'm going to close. I'm, I'm going to close. I'm going to close. See how we've redefined everything? Nobody says born again anymore. Why? They're afraid of it. You're afraid or ashamed of the gospel. Well, no, we just have it for a new generation. Born again. I would think that the Savior of the world was pretty articulate at saying what he meant. He said, born again. Did not say, make a decision. A decision is what you make at Bojangles. Song, song of the South. Hey, hey. Woo, give me some Bojangles. Bowberry biscuits. Extra white stuff. You could put that white stuff on a rock and it would be good. <laughs> anyway, let's use McDonald's. Everybody's got McDonald's. Up north they say McDonald's. McDonald's. We're going to McDonald's. And when, when we go to McDonald's, I have to tell you, some of y'all try my salvation. You get in that line, and I wish to God my horn was a gun. Because you sit there for 20 minutes, and you get up to the squawk box and ain't made a decision what you want. The menu has not changed in 50 years. They got a Big Mac and a quarter pounder with cheese. Make up your mind. Right. Right. right? You got a carload of kids. They want a happy meal. Yeah. So you up there, all right, Pastor, you pull up on there and, and you there's a menu and, and and you are in line and and they got a Big Mac and they got a quarter pounder with cheese. And you want what? Big Mac. Big Mac! Two all beef patties, special sauce, and then the rest of it's tongues. I don't know. Brother, we here got blessed. All right. Okay, I'm hurry. What? 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 I'm, I'm breaking this down for you. All right. So you're in line, and, and, and you made a decision. Question Are you still hungry? Yes. 
Because all a decision is is a conclusion after consideration. And that's a good first step. Right? It's a good first step. I have decided to follow Jesus. You're taking my time. You made a decision. That's a good thing. Well, we had 12 decisions for Christ. Awesome. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to go chase them down. And you're going to pull them in. And you're going to set them in a class. And then you're going to teach them how to be an usher. Took care of that. Let me say it in Kentucky vernacular. They ain't saved. They still hungry. And the issue with the modern church is that we're telling people they're saved. They're new creatures. And then we try to teach them how to be better. God didn't save you to be better. God didn't save you to be better. You can learn that with Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm telling true. You can learn that with Roman Catholicism. They'll teach you not to abort your babies. You can learn that in Judaism. One of the most holy religions there is. But you're not saved. You know how I know you're not saved? Because you're not changed. Because you made a head decision, not a heart conversion. You just made a decision. And now that's why you struggle so. Because if you slap your wife before you make a decision, we say you need Jesus. Then you make a decision, you keep slapping her, and we tell you, you need to come to counseling, and we'll teach you, ain't nobody had to teach me to love my wife. Nobody. Stand up. Ain't nobody had to teach me how to pray. How many of you have children? Scream. I know you wanted to. You got kids. (laughs) Right? Yes, sir. How many of you had to teach your kids how to lie? How come we got to teach you how to pray? No, I'm not saying we can't enhance your prayer life. But if you get up out that altar and you can't pray, that's like a doctor giving birth to a baby and there's no cry. Turn around. What's your name? Pastor Fumby. When did you start watching me? 1996. 1996. Where do you live? Here in Pinson. You, you live here? Yes. Uh, how many times we hugged? 
tonight. How many times have I been to dinner with you? I don't think none. No. I know none. Bojangles. Do you love me? Yes, sir. I love you too. Those aren't preacher words. I love him. And I didn't go to nary a one racial reconciliation seminar. Not one. Nobody had to teach me how to not be a bigot. Nobody had to teach me how to not be a racist. Nobody had to teach me how to love my wife. Nobody had to teach me to want to share my story. Nobody had to teach me to weep over lost souls. Nobody. I'm born again. I'm born from above. We have faulty conversions because we preach a faulty gospel. This is not an Amway convention. This is not sign up and get a Cadillac in your driveway. You may lose the one you've got. Take the whole world. But give me Jesus. I'll preach to 50 that are on fire for God. That are born again. And I'll change the world. While you're 40... Thousands sit there and do not move the kingdom of God forward one inch. If you need a restroom break, help yourself. I'm about done. My assistant just shared the time with me. Thank you. It's 10.30 at my house and I feel fine. What's wrong, y'all? We still at McDonald's. All right, pastor. Next step. The lady in the minivan who cannot decide what she wants has made a decision. She wants a fish sandwich with extra tartar sauce, no cheese, a large drink, and a small fry. Now, if you do that, I will get out of my car. I will knock on your window. Because there's no sense in you embarrassing that adolescent child who has been raised in a bankrupt educational system, who has a great self-value, but can't add, order by the number. You are going to wreck that child's life. Go to Chick-fil-A where they got good employees. You work at Chick-fil-A. You go to my you go to my table and get anything you want free. Chick-fil-A. 
All right now. Woo, y'all. I should have said Chick-fil-A earlier. You liked me then. Hey, so you're up there now, and now you get to the squawk box. May I help you? It's either this loud. So, so they say, what would you like on a Big Mac combo? A Big Mac combo. Okay, wait a minute. Uh, are you still hungry? Yes, sir. Well, I thought all we had to do was confess. I thought all you had to do was pray a 30-second, now I lay me down to sleep, baby prayer. I thought that's all it took. That's why our churches are full of people that can't pray. People that can't fight for their king. People that can't stand up against the culture. People that can't go in the way of Christ. People that can't deny their flesh. People that don't fast. People that have no heart for the lost. People that have to be babysat and trained and taught and spoon-fed spiritual problem week after week after week and have a light show and bozo the clown and foo-foo the dog. Let me, let me tell you what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. If it takes a circus to get them, it'll take a circus to keep I never had no circus. I had a 45-watt light bulb hanging down on a cord and dirt floors and seats made out of wooden pews. Eighty people in the room. A woman preacher which we didn't believe in. I was eight years old. She talked about a place called heaven with streets of gold. She also talked about a place of, called hell where through the endless ages of eternity men would gnaw their tongues for pain. Why isn't anybody preaching that? Well, we come to church to be encouraged. You can encourage yourself all the way to hell. You just stay encouraged. Where if three of your four children died tonight, they'd end, up, they'd end up in hell. Just keep encouraging yourself. Keep making church all about you. Preachers, keep making it all about the people. My God. Did they call you? Who called you? Whose servant are you? Hey, you invited me. Yes, sir, I did. Yes, sir, I did. Next time I'll bring my short sermon. Listen. You made a decision. You made a confession. Yes, sir. But you're still hungry. Because you haven't tasted of the Lord yet. 
you miss some steps. A confession, think about it in, you know, those crime and police shows you watch. We got him. How do you know he's guilty? He confessed. Yeah, yeah. A confession is just an acknowledgement of your guilt. You ain't paid no price yet. If you're going to be born again, Rod Parsley was born January the 13th, 1957. Don't count it up. I'm 62 and breaking through. (laughs) Right? Here it is now. Here it is. But eight years later, Rod Parsley died and was born again. No, no, because the only way you can be born again is to die. Now, in some folks, that happens in an instant. For me, it took Sister Gillicuddy on one side. That was her name. And Sister Yeye on the other side. I don't remember her name, so I just gave her one. Sister Gillicuddy was hollering. Oh, God. Baptist, we think God's first name is O. Oh, God. So one of them's screaming, hold on. The other one's hollering, let go. And every now and then, They'd say to me, how do you feel? And I'm crying my little eyes out. And I'd say, I feel the same. I'm eight years old. I am a VIP first class sinner. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, from another world, something happened. Something hit me. It changed my mind. When I looked at people, they looked different. When I got outside and looked at the stars, they they looked different. And they said to me, how do you feel? And I said, well, the only way I know to describe it is I feel like, now, we're, we're from so far back in the woods. We had to use hoot owls for roosters. <laughs> You'll get it on the way home. And we took baths in number three wash tubs. Yeah. What? A number three wash tub. And you heat the water on the wood stove. And if you're the second born like me, your sister got in first. And you got the dirty water. Yeah, I ain't always been flying around in jets. And I and my mama, we didn't have no Walmart. My mama made soap. My mom made soap out of hog fat, out of hog fat, right? 
and, and mix it with lye. Let it harden, cut it in blocks. That's what we used to bathe in. Now, lye soap was good. Like, it gets you clean. And because it takes the first three layers of skin right <laughs> off you. You get out a white boy like me with uh, pink. My big old ears. I mean, I was pink like an elephant. Pink. And I said, the only way I know to say it. The only way I know to say it is I feel inside like I've had one of mama's baths. I feel clean. I feel new. Something's happened to me. Because I was converted. Took me two hours. I prayed with people for weeks. Some folks have no conviction. Conviction is the power of the Holy Spirit to draw you to salvation. You can't get saved any time you want to. Whoever told you that? No man comes to the Father. Lest the Holy Spirit draw him. How come ain't nobody preaching? Here's how to bring conviction to a congregation. Because we don't want conviction. We've transposed it with condemnation. Lots of folks have made a decision. Many have made a confession. And ever since you've been in the struggle of your life, you forget where your Bible is between Sundays. The presence of God doesn't ever flood your room till you can't stand. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, brings no tear to your eye. The suffering, sighing, crying, dying hordes of hopeless, helpless humanity all around you make no voice in your heart. Is your family saved? How many meals have you given up in the past week asking God to send the spirit of conviction upon them? Some of you have children living a homosexual, lesbian lifestyle. The week before that night, Miss Kendall, we lived in a little two-story house. It was 800 square feet. My mom and daddy paid $15,000 for it. It's the first house we had. The week before what I just described to you, I came in from school, walked to school. When I got in, the vacuum cleaner, which back then made a lot of noise, the vacuum cleaner was running on the steps. I thought, oh, that's strange. And so I ran around the house, Mama. Mama? Mama? 
Now, when you were raised like I was, right. you thought the rapture was going to happen yeah, right. in three minutes. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. All right. It'll keep you out of the back of a 67 Chevy. Come on. Because Jesus may come for you get out. I'm just telling the truth. Vacuum cleaner was running. I don't know if any of my teams ever even heard this. And, and I ran up past the vacuum cleaner to check upstairs to see if I could find mom and dad was at work. Mm -hmm. And I heard somebody crying. And when I got closer, I could hear the words. They were coming from my sister's back bedroom closet with the door closed. And I could hear my mother screaming and praying, pounding the floor among the shoes. God, save my son. Save my son! Where's that? out of you like a river I so want your heart to be turned away from yourself to those hurting desperate souls around you when will the church again become a delivery room instead of an adoption room church to church to church Who's got the better light show? Who seems more relevant? Church folk have become about as loyal as the NBA. I can't even watch the stuff anymore. People used to stay with a team. They used to stay with a city. They Now it's just the highest bidder. Is that what the church has become? God, give us men and women that will lock in with this pastor. That will sell out to this vision like it was their own. 
that will pray for him when he's praying for them. God, fill these altars. Send them from the uttermost to the guttermost. Bring us some doctors and some lawyers and some educators, but God, bring us some prostitutes and some drug addicts. And some, because we're not unmindful that your word still declares that he that has forgiven much loves much. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Now, Jesus, I ask you to come. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. I ask you to manifest in judgment day honesty. Because this I know for sure, Lord. Every person in this building is going to heaven. Your word declares it, but not everybody gets to stay. What a tragedy it would be on that day. If you filled a pew, do you know what church growth experts will tell you? The average evangelical Christian attends church one Sunday every six weeks. You're not saved. You're not saved. You apologize for the same sin over and over and over and over. You need saved. Here's what the Bible promises. You become a new creature. Wow. Made over. You run after righteousness. Mm. You chase after God. Your heart pours out that the whole world could experience and know what you've experienced and know. Jesus didn't have to tell people to go. He had to tell them to be quiet about what had happened. Oh, God, give us people like that. Jesus didn't baptize you in the Holy Ghost so you could talk in tongues. He baptized you in the Holy Ghost so you get your family saved and the people you work with saved and the people at your school saved to go into all the world. Preach this gospel. I'm sorry, every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Just for a moment. I wonder how many tonight would say, Pastor Rod, I- I'm, I'm concerned. Now remember, your Bible said that the Holy Spirit would bear witness with your spirit that you are the child of God. These people that will tell you, you just have to take it by faith. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. God said the Holy Spirit will let you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the old you is dead and a new you has come up out of that water. I feel that there are many tonight. You may have never accepted Christ. You may have never been born again. But because you were born again three weeks ago does not mean you're born again now. Born again is a present progressive tense verb. It means you are being saved. Well, I just believe once you're saved, you're always saved. 
Well, believe whatever you want to, but that's not true. Your Bible says these are they who have not had their names blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. Doesn't it stand to reason that there are those who have had their name blotted out? God's not going to make you go to heaven anymore than He's going to make you serve Him. He gives you the opportunity right now to get it right. To say, I may have made a decision. I may have even confessed. But oh God, Pastor Rod, I want to feel the life of God. I want to know. I want peace. I want the power of God manifested in my life. And you don't have it. And tonight you're willing to say, I want it. More than anything in life, I want to know I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I want to go to bed tonight knowing that I'm as sure for heaven as if I was already there. And Pastor Rod, right now I don't know it. I gave this altar call in a pastor's meeting. Over a thousand pastors there. 500 of them confessed afterwards that they'd been born again that night. Isaiah prophesied for 20 years and finally said in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw seeing is knowing I'm going to count to three and if you say Pastor Rod I don't even know where I am on the scale but I know that my heart and my mind are not full of God I can't point to a time where the old me truly died and a new me was resurrected. And tonight I want it. I don't care if I have to stay till midnight to get it. I, I'm not leaving here without it. I'm not taking a chance. Eternity is long. Hell is real. And so is heaven. Oh, tonight, let Christ come close to you. Let the living reality of being born again be yours. I'm counting to three when I say three. If that's you, shoot that hand up in the air. One, two, three. Lift that hand. Leave it up. Leave it up all over the building. All over the building. Just as quickly as you raised it. When I say three, come to the altar and we're going to pray. Come on. One, two, three. Everyone. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is impossible. Maybe your leader, just come get behind these. Would you just come get behind me? I just like that machine. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. 
behind. Thank you. Thank you. Nobody told these folks to kneel. Nobody told them to kneel. Hallelujah. Look at me now. Look at me now. This is it. This is it. This is it. We're about to have your funeral. You got it? The old you is about to stay at this altar. And a brand new you leave. A brand new you. The first thing you have to do. I had a young man from our Bible college heard me preach this and he said, well, pastor, what about the Bible where it says, with the heart man believes, with the mouth confession is made. And I said, well, we believe, therefore we speak. We don't speak to believe. Did you hear me? And then conversion takes place. Study your Bible. Study, study the apostle Peter. Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. 13 chapters because he's confessed you are the Christ. 13 chapters later Jesus looks at him and says it again. Simon, Simon. Did Jesus forget he changed his name? No. He'd made a decision and a confession. But he hadn't been converted. Jesus said when thou art converted Strengthen thy brethren. Then in Acts chapter 3, that same Peter said, Repent, every one of you, for the remission of your sins and be converted. Let's all pray together. Father, tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice of your blood. Yes, Lord. We thank you for the atoning work of Calvary. Yes, God. We thank you that you did what we could never do. Yes, Lord. We owed a debt we could not pay. You paid a debt you did not owe. You paid it all. Your blood covers it all. But, Father, the only way that we can receive is to fully surrender. And tonight we repent. We truly repent. We don't say we're sorry. We repent. We change our mind. We make a decision. We're going to follow you at any cost. We confess you with our mouth as our personal Savior and Lord. And now, Father, we ask for the confirmation of the Holy Spirit that we have become the sons of God that the old us dies in this altar tonight. We die to our will. We die to our way. We die to our purpose. We die to our plan. We die to our flesh. We die to our mind. We die to the culture. And we say we take you. We accept you. We ask you to make us a new creature tonight from the inside out. In the name of Jesus.
Hallelujah. Take it, Lord. Take it. Take it. Let the struggle end. Take it. Take me. Take me, Lord. Take me. I surrender. Take out a stoning heart. Give me a heart of flesh. I want to serve you. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender Come on, church, while they're still praying, tears are flowing like water. Everybody sing. Let's recommit. Come on. All to thee. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. forget this night you'll never forget this night this is your night it's over that doesn't mean you won't ever struggle again but it'll mean the greater one in you will cause you to overcome don't make an excuse just say greater is he that is in me now than he that is in the world those tears are beautiful they're beautiful. Hallelujah. Love you all. Love you all. Thank you so much for letting me overstay my welcome and be here all this time. We love you. It's my great joy. You're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. So beautiful. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Are we gonna are we gonna take them somewhere or is that what we're doing? What are we doing? Help me. Well, I've been taking my time. I just, I just want you, I want you to deal with this. Let me, let me say a couple of things. Uh, some folks had to leave 
I got very long. That's okay. Uh, and they, I'm sure they had things that they had to get to. There's never, like I tell our church, you can leave whenever you want. There's no condemnation about that. People have schedules. People have work. So but I don't want to. I don't want to hinder what the Holy Spirit is doing. Yes, sir. Based on that. Yes, sir. Uh, we have a school in Columbus, Ohio, and online. It's fully accredited. It took 20 years and over $10 million to get that accreditation. It's the same accreditation that Alabama has and LSU has and Ohio State has. Uh, and we also have federal financial aid because I told them, if you can go to those universities and learn Antichrist, you should be able to come to Valor Christian College and learn Christ. And so we have full financial aid available and uh, both for online and on campus and we'd love for you to check it out uh, I've got a whole lot of product back there look if you sign a card tonight regarding Valor online or on campus either way if you fill out a card looks like this says world changes are made here looks like that they have it at the table. If you fill that out tonight, you are eligible for a 50% off scholarship for your first entire year's tuition, both online and on campus. We do that because folks that come to my meetings uh, know a little more what to expect when they get there. So we'd like to help you every way we can. There's a lot of product back there. There's a book back there that I wrote and prayed through every single day for over three years, every morning and every night. It took me two hours to make those prayers and confessions. And Jesus took all the cancer out of my body and I'm free. You might want to pick those up.